This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey began as a luxury day spa in Austin, Texas, and has since grown to include eight locations across Texas and Los Angeles, California, as well as a line of bath, body, and skincare born from the spa. Milk and Honey sources and uses the safest possible ingredients in both their spa treatments and product lines, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. I recently went to their Brentwood location to treat myself to a spa day. In addition to having a wonderful and deeply therapeutic massage, I really appreciated how peaceful and relaxing the spa environment is. The lounge that is available for guests pre and post treatments felt like a little sanctuary and retreat away from the outside hustle and bustle of LA. We are so excited to now be able to offer our listeners a discount at all milk and honey spas, including both LA locations in Culver city and Brentwood. We are even more excited to partner with them to offer a spa package called the courageous wellness retreat, a 60 minute milk and honey signature massage, which is a Swedish massage tailored to your needs focusing on relaxation and stress relief combined with body brushing an exfoliating and detoxifying treatment that uses a natural bristle brush that you get to take home to stimulate your lymph and circulation while also reviving dull skin. And for all our listeners in any location, their online boutique offers products from the milk and honey line and from other top brands, including Osea Malibu, super goop, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, and more. Courageous Wellness listeners can enjoy 20% off your next order at milkandhoney.com and 20% off your first spa service at any Milk and Honey location with code CW Podcast. Visit milkandhoneyspa.com to find a location near you. And if you want to try the Courageous Wellness Spa package at a special discounted rate, use the code Courageous Wellness Retreat to redeem. This is not able to be combined with any other discount or promotion. And you can find all this information in our show notes. Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French, and this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. I'm really excited about this episode this week. We have Amy Raup, who is known as a fertility detective. Um, and we're a big fan of her work just in, in the way she supports, uh, women's health, hormone health, and anybody who's interested in truly supporting their fertility as well. Um, very hopeful and empowering work that she does. So I'm very uh, happy to share this conversation with all of you today. And before we do, we're just going to give a little update as we usually do. Actually at the time of this episode airing, I will be in France with some family. My in-laws live over there. And so, um, yeah, I'm very excited to go see them and spend some time in the countryside there. And what else, Erica, any updates that we want to get into before this episode? Yes, we are recording this a little bit ahead because Allie will be living her best life in France. Um, and last week we released 
a solo episode where we Mm -hmm. talked about following your intuition and living your most authentic life. And we touched a little bit on the Barbie movie because um, I had seen it and I loved it and Allie hadn't seen it yet. So I'm just curious as like a follow up to our solo, what are your thoughts? You know, I really liked it and like almost, you know, it's almost a week out now since I've seen it and I keep thinking about it Mm -hmm. as like a piece of film too, like just the filmmaking, the writing, um, Greta Gerwig did a lot with this film. Like there's a lot there and there's so many layers to it. And I thought it was really successful in what she was able to do. And even Mark Maron, who's a comedian online, I saw his like response to it. And it was just sort of like on the nose for me, basically what he shared. Well, he kind of like ratted on all these guys who are like so just like bent out of shape. about. I don't know. It just is just really interesting, like people's responses to it. But I thought it was pretty genius what Greta was able to do as a filmmaker and um, Ryan Gosling's performance was just hilarious that man commits to everything and anything and it was genius and I mean the whole ensemble was wonderful you know uh, Margot Robbie and I just thought like what they tried to achieve and then actually successfully did achieve was like a lot that's how I feel like there's so much to it and um I actually thought it was a really beautiful examination of how you know these aspects of like toxic masculinity and the patriarchy not only don't serve women or people who identify as women, but they also don't, don't serve men Mm -hmm. yeah, and, or allow them to be authentically themselves and fully realized feeling beings. So there's so much that, um, really was beautifully achieved in it and even like generational stuff they address it's just I don't know I cried a little bit I I was really impressed with it yeah um it felt like a longer film than it was because it's actually not that long of a film but I think just because of how much was able to be like in it like you know what I mean like yeah like very kind of (laughs) packed in and on top of all that it's like the most easily like consumable, you know, recognizable products, like super sort of like splashy and fun and hilarious and funny and creative also like, yeah, you know, it's all of that. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I loved it. If you, you know, again, we like, even though Allie didn't see it, last week's episode, we, we do kind of get into a conversation about like kind of living really authentically. And I, mm-hmm. I share more of my thoughts on the Barbie movie and that episode. That so episode. I'm not going to repeat myself, but you guys can go and listen if you haven't yet. But yeah, I think, I, I think it was just so beautifully done and I don't know how people hate it or think it's anti-men. Like I didn't take away any of that from no the film. Like, I think it was just, it was just beautifully done. And, and yeah. And I think this summer, and I think it's relevant to this conversation too, because right, we're going to talk about hormone health in a second, and we're going to talk about um, fertility, right. And there's all this, you know, I'm turning 35 next month, which is really Mm -hmm. exciting. I think almost exactly a month from when this episode comes out, I will be 35 years old. And, um, I think I mentioned in the episode with Amy or I mentioned in the pre-recording, like we talked to her so much before recording and so much after recording. She's so wonderful. Um, But, you know, as you know, as 35 approaches for me, I can't tell you all the messaging about are you having children? When are you having children? Well, if you don't have children now, like you're probably not going to be able to have children. Or do you know what these like scary statistics are? And Amy really breaks down too in a lot of her work and in this conversation in this episode it's just not true it's a lot of like fear mongering for women and i even yeah. think it's it's you know it's just it's just not true and and i am somebody who would like to have a child but i have no desire to have one right now just because i'm turning 35 years old and society right. is telling me i need to or else and 
And I think, again, like these conversations, these movies, I think as women, and we, we, we've talked about this in a few episodes recently and a few episodes coming out, but we really put ourselves in a lot of boxes and we really like in, in this American society we live in, it's like all these labels and boxes we really have to put ourselves in and fit ourselves in. And I am really in a phase of my life where I'm just not doing that. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I don't care. I just want to live my life authentically, unapologetically and truthfully and trust that things are going to work out the way they're supposed to. And it's a very freeing place to be, I will say. So that's mm. kind of where I'm at. And yeah, I loved Barbie. I loved this conversation and you, me too. Yeah. It was really great. <laughs> yeah. So, um, if you listen, if you are in like the kind of reproductive years of your life, absolutely listen to this conversation, even if you're not, or it's not of interest to you, or if you are someone who doesn't even have female biology, I just think there's so much important information that Amy shares so that like anybody can really get educated around this stuff beyond a lot of the noise. Um, and I think that's important, whether you're someone who's like in a supportive role, whether, you know, like whether you're in a partnership role with someone who is going through that, whatever it might be, whether it's something you're considering in the future listen to the episode. Yeah. And that was, it was just interesting before we get to her formal intro and get to the episode. She said something too, that stayed with me when she was like a lot of times with her, you know, um, the people she works with there, it's always about like the woman's health, but sometimes she's like, make sure you're, if you're having trouble conceiving, like checking your, your partner's sperm yes. count, checking your husband's partner's sperm. And I was like, wow, we always blame or focus on the woman. And I don't know, it was just maybe it's just because I'm not in that space. But I was like, I have not heard as much like pushing of if you're trying to conceive, check the yeah. sperm. And yeah. I just thought that was interesting with everything we're talking about. But yeah. And before we get to today's episode, I do just want to mention that this episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. So again, Milk and Honey is a female founded, female funded brand out of Austin, Texas. They have spas in multiple locations across the US and they have an incredible online boutique with the Hyperclean Milk and Honey line, products from Supergoop, Osea Malibu, and much more. And you can save 20% with code CW podcast at their spas or online. And you can find all the info for milk and honey in our show notes. So with that, let's get to today's episode. So Amy Raup is a renowned women's health and fertility detective, celebrity acupuncturist and coach, and the best-selling author of the books, Chill Out and Get Healthy, Yes, You Can Get Pregnant, Body Belief, and The Egg Quality Diet, a clinically proven 100-day fertility diet to balance hormones, reduce inflammation, improve egg quality, and optimize your ability to get and stay pregnant. As a fertility detective with two decades of experience, Amy works virtually with clients all over the world. She is also a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist in private practice in New York and Connecticut. Over the years, Amy has grown and mentored her team of fertility coaches and acupuncturists to serve more women on their path to motherhood. She has appeared on The View and has been featured in Glamour, Allure, Well and Good, Mind Body Green, Goop, Shape, and much more. Amy has received endorsements from Deepak Chopra, Ariana Huffington, and Gabrielle Bernstein for her work in helping thousands of women to improve their fertility, celebrate their beauty, and reconnect to the presence of their optimal health. Amy is also on the scientific advisory board for The Well in New York City and is a frequent speaker at women's health and wellness conferences across the nation. We have a really wonderful conversation on women's hormone health and discuss many ways we can support fertility from our 20s well into our 40s. Enjoy the episode. Before we get to today's episode, we want to tell you a little bit about the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Erica and I are both certified integrative health coaches. I have advanced training in hormone health, and she has advanced training in gut health. And we offer health coaching and corporate coaching through the Courageous Wellness Collective. We continued our education and received certification through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. IIN has taken the lead in the health coaching industry from its inception and provides a comprehensive curriculum that combines nutrition, coaching, and business. 
We loved the program and have had many listeners ask us about continuing their education in nutrition, health coaching, or even just advancing their personal knowledge about food and nutrition. So we are very excited to be able to offer a discount to Courageous Wellness listeners to study at IIN. The program is completely accessible virtually with lectures led by health, wellness, and medical industry experts. To receive up to $2,500 off your tuition, you can use our names, Allie French or Erica Stein, at the time of enrollment to receive the tuition discount. We have also included a link in the show notes that will take you directly to IIN to learn more about their wonderful programs. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have this conversation. So to get us started, we'd love to hear about your own personal background and how you got into this world of fertility. Sure. Well, thank you again for um, having me. And so how do I get into fertility? Um, I was, so my, my, Short story background is I'm a medical school dropout. That's what we'll say. And so biology, chemistry, neuroscience, all like graduate, undergraduate level degrees. And was, I don't know, I guess I wasn't jiving with that environment and decided to study Chinese medicine. I was out in San Diego and there was a grade school at UCSD. And then I kind of hopped over to an acupuncture school in San Diego called Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. So when I graduated from that program, which is a four-year master's program, um, I moved back to the East Coast, which is where I'm from originally, and started practicing. I just wanted to do a general practice. I didn't really want to specialize in anything. Chinese medicine is very holistic, right? So you're just going to treat what you see, and then like everything should get better. That's just kind of... But I started to see a lot of women with hormonal issues, and then you know endometriosis was a big thing, and then, of course, fertility... And, you know, acupuncture was still kind of like it was really booming on the West Coast. But when I came back to the East Coast, there wasn't that many practitioners. So I got really busy fast and lots of women. And then I started practicing in New York City. I was practicing in Rockland County and then New York City. And um, I just started seeing women more and more being really scared of their fertility and what was going to go wrong, like even before they started trying. And I think mainly around even the information that was out then. And I mean, this is like 18 years ago at this point. Um, and I just remember I was talking to a colleague one night and I was like, I just want to scream from the rooftops, to all these women that like, yeah, you can do this. You can get pregnant, you know? And that was, I'd already written one book, Chill Out and Get Healthy. It came out in 2010. And so this was around like 2012 or something like that. That, And I was already eight years into practice at that point. And so I decided to write, yes, you can get pregnant. And, um, yeah, that's kind of where it comes from, where I just wanted to like kind of shake people up and be like, there's there's a lot of things that could go wrong, of course, and getting pregnant is not easy. And it's, you know, the most, you know, um, understated scientific phenomenon that I think happens. You know what I mean? Like the more you know, the more you're like, how does anyone actually do this? This is crazy. Um, there's just so many things that go on. But But if we come at it from this very holistic standpoint that like, we can support your fertility. But so, but for me too, what was interesting, I wrote the book when I was 35 and I got a lot of negative feedback because I didn't have children at the time. And people were like, you don't know what you're talking about. You have never been through fertility challenges. And I remember like I was, you know, single living in New York city. I really wanted a family. I, I had just broken an engagement. So like, I was kind of in this place where, yeah, I don't know what my plans are. People were asking me, was it going to freeze my eggs? What was I, what was my plan? And I just kind of decided at that point, I'm going to just live the life that I'm preaching in this book. Yes, you can get pregnant. And I'm going to see where it takes me. And, you know, my cycles got even better. I think I definitely had signs and symptoms of endometriosis when I was in my late 20s, early 30s. And so anyway, fast forward, I met my husband now and I was 39, about to turn 40. And um, we were lucky. I was I was pregnant the second month we tried. But I would say that I was really doing everything I tell others to do for at least five years. Minus I was probably drinking a little more alcohol just as a single New Yorker than I you know, that I recommend. Um, but so yeah, for me, it became this thing where it was like it's it's not so black and white. There's a lot of gray area. And if we can holistically treat and support these women and we're working on digestive symptoms and skin symptoms and sleep issues and anxiety, and we're kind of working at those, those root 
issues and challenges that fertility should thrive as an extension of health thriving. And that's really, you know, where I still, I still reside. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And a little bit about your own kind of journey as well, especially becoming pregnant after 40. And, um, you know, we were talking a little bit prior to recording that there's a lot of noise, uh, that can, even before someone might be trying to conceive if whether it's age related or whatever, whatever the noise might be, it can be, there can be a lot of pressure and stress sort of if you ingest that. And, um, Erica and I were talking about it this morning. We're both, so she's going to be 35. I'm 37 and we live in Los Angeles. And I think this is kind of common for bigger cities, but a lot of our friends, um, don't have children, but don't necessarily not want children. It's part of the picture. They're just doing it later than historically sort of has been the norm. And, um, even one of my girlfriends, I think one of my closest friends who actually does have a kid, he's three, she's 41. She did it at 38. And, um, but I have friends well into their late thirties that are just starting to think about it now. And, and I even thought about that too. Like I've heard all these things with people, uh, you know, like freezing their eggs young. I, that wasn't, it didn't even cross my mind even at 30. Like, I just don't even know if it was just was not on my radar, but, um, so anyway, this idea of that, a lot of people are doing this really seriously starting to approach the fertility process in their late thirties. Um, but going into it with a bunch of noise of like, oh, well, it's geriatric or, oh, well, it's going to be a lot harder or X, Y, Z. So how would you suggest kind of if someone is in the place where they're maybe starting to consider this or starting, you know, wanting to do some preemptive prep? I know you have the egg quality diet book, but like, what are some of your suggestions in the preparation phase, maybe even prior to trying to conceive that people can do to just really support their own cycles, as you said, like as a vital sign. So that is where I start. And with my Chinese medicine background to us, that is the most important piece that we look at, regardless where a woman is in her age and when what she's trying to do, whether or not have a child. It's, it's part of our like deep questioning when they come in, you know, what does your menstrual cycle look like? Do you have PMS? Do you get clots and cramping? How many days do you bleed for? Is it like you're hemorrhaging? Do you only have to wear a panty liner? Do you see cervical mucus when you ovulate? Even if you're not trying to conceive, those are all really, you know, it's a lot of information for us to gather to then make an assessment of what's going on. Like, is there blood stagnation? Is there blood deficiency? Is it cold? Is it hot? Like that's Chinese medicine. Um, and at this stage of the game too, I know a lot, well, I guess I always did, but about the Western medicine side of things too. So I think if a woman's thinking, regardless of her age, if she's thinking about, oh, I want to have a child maybe next year, I would say you kind of plan out, like, first of all, if you're on the birth control pill, I think you should stop that at least six months before you decide to start trying. Um, there is some research showing it can take six to nine months to restore normal ovulatory function after stopping the pill. And then we also know now, thanks to a lot of the work of my colleagues and you know bringing that information out there to people that the, the pill leaves us with a lot of nutrient deficiencies. So we really want to like work on, you know, as I would look at like baseline health levels. And so things that I would think about is at least six months before you're starting to try to conceive, you know, that um, you're, you're checking your diet. You know, I think big things are most women don't eat enough and they don't eat enough protein. So number one, I want to starting to think about like 80 to hundred grams of protein a day, not skipping meals, not skipping breakfast, stop intermittent fasting. It is not supportive to your hormones. Don't just have coffee on an empty stomach. Right. So I, my goal generally 30 grams of protein before, like within the first three hours of waking. And then I think you should shoot for, you know, 30 and 30 with like lunch and dinner. Um, and that, you know, maybe some snacks in between. Uh, I would pay attention to your cycle, right? What is our cycle telling us? If you have a lot of PMS, if you have a lot of clots and cramping, that's what I want to work on. That's telling me there's inflammation. So things like acupuncture are great for, for regulating the system. But then also I would make sure you're on a good solid fish oil. Um, you know, I don't think we have to get into brands, but a good quality fish oil. 
upwards of 2000 milligrams a day, then a good either prenatal or supplement that has enough methylfolate, right? Upwards of 1600 micrograms, I think is a really good goal. I want to also make sure you're getting enough choline in your diet. So things like eggs, I'm a huge fan of organ meat. That's a Chinese medicine thing. It's, I think it's a pretty trendy thing now. Um, eggs, good quality, nutrient dense protein, bone broth, things of that nature. Those are in your diet. And and I think the recommendation is around 500, you know, upwards of 800 milligrams of choline a day. And so you guys can kind of figure that out. Um, there's just a lot of information out there. I think it's fairly easy to find these days. But so I would, I would think about that. And I would think about like, okay, what are the kinks in my system? So again, going back to like PMS, okay, I want to start to see that resolve. I want to see menstrual cramps not be, they shouldn't rule your life. You shouldn't miss a day of work on the first day of your period. You should not be vomiting and have diarrhea on the first day of your period. Like here and there, we're not we're not robots, right? It's okay to have these kinks, but really paying attention to that. And I want to see like a good three days of flow, you know, maybe a super, um, I'm a big fan of pads, organic, of course, like no bleach, no, no anything on the pads. Um, you can do tampons, but again, same thing, uh, that they should be really clean. Um, super, you know, a few times a day, the first and second day of your cycle, and then it slowly tapers off. Maybe day four is, is light, day five is day light. Again, if you're bleeding super heavier than that, maybe not the worst thing in the world, but I don't want you hemorrhaging or bleeding through things and your period lasting for seven days, you know? So, so there's, there's uh, things like that that I would work with. And I also, on the other side, don't want you having a super light flow. That tells me the lining's too thin for implantation, right? So these are things, and then Chinese medicine, we're saying you're not building enough blood and blood is imperative. We don't have estrogen in Chinese medicine, but if, if you know about the cycle, estrogen is imperative to juicy, healthy follicles that we're going to then grow to the right size. And then we're going to ovulate it out. And now comes that egg. And so blood to us in Chinese medicine, is that's what nourishes those follicles. That's what helps grow that lining. And so to us, you know, blood and chi and essence are like our three vital substances. And so it's really about, you know, checking your system. And so I think, I think the period tells us a lot. The amount of flow tells us a lot. PMS tells us a lot. And then also looking at starting to pay attention. When do I see cervical mucus? Like just keeping notes. Um, I'm a huge fan of the at-home test that, tell your hormones like the uva or the mira or the anito those are some of the best ones on the market they didn't exist i don't know three years ago probably um a lot of the at-home opks or even some of the tests that just look at your progesterone they're um the hormone level that they're picking up is a very low level so you could get a false positive on those and so you could start tracking your hormones with an at-home device if you wanted to some women that's crazy making others. It's really helpful. Same thing with the BBT. I'm, I'm not opposed to a BBT. I think it can start that's basal body temperature tracking. I think it can start to also rule your day and your life. But if you're looking at it from like a data collection standpoint, like, oh, what is my cycle doing? Let me learn more about my period. I think that's really helpful. And so with that, you want to start to see like around when am I ovulating? And am I, am I seeing signs and symptoms? We do want to see at least a day or two of what looks like raw egg white cervical mucus, um, not cooked egg whites, raw. So, and it should be stretchy, you know? And so that's telling me too, that the luteinizing hormone and the estrogen are getting to the levels they need to that follicle, as I would say, is getting really juicy and that's what we want. Um, and so I think knowing your cycle, also paying attention to your sex drive like that stuff's really important getting in the habit of regular sex I don't think it's a huge turn on for anyone when you decide I'm getting pregnant next month so we're going to start having sex like every day in my fertile window when you didn't have a very active sex life before with your partner if you're in a heterosexual partnership that is so I think something like that too of like let's just get into regular sex every week. And a lot of times for women, even in, in their thirties and forties, that's enough. Part of the problem with women in their forties and getting pregnant is they just don't have enough sex. And that's well-documented. Um, you can look at research, especially research around whether or not women in their forties who are done having children should be put on birth control. There's a lot of documentation around that. Um, it's, it's actually really, that's really fascinating. I was going to ask you that because I know um, that can be, it was going to be like a, 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 like a later on question, but since you brought it up, let's just um, address that. We know 
about birth control. We know about the uh, potential downsides of hormonal birth control. Um, we believe in women making choices for their own bodies and uh, as far as you know, birth control in for any method. But we also very much talk openly about just understanding all the side effects of hormonal birth control as well. For women who are done having children mm-hmm. or don't want to have children and are in perimenopause, maybe approaching those years or in those years, and then are prescribed birth control, what what are your thoughts on that? And what are the like what are the upsides and downsides of going back on a hormonal birth control? And how can that affect the like the perimenopause into menopause phase of life. Yeah. So what happens right with menopause is ovarian function declines. And yeah. so the ovaries stop ovulating. And so then we're not in a luteal phase anymore. We don't have progesterone anymore. Typically estrogen is really low. So putting them on the birth control does seem to, at least what I've seen clinically too, is it can exacerbate the menopausal symptoms when mm-hmm. they come on. Mm-hmm. So I think a better method again, and it's hard because your cycles can get erratic. You can ovulate on cycle day eight, one month. I mean, that can also happen though to a 35 year old woman. You can ovulate cycle day eight, one month and cycle right. day six in the next month. So again, knowing your body is like the most important thing. And then what are the other forms of birth control that you want to practice? If you don't want another child, I, I'm not a huge fan. I, I understand the need for birth control in certain populations and, and totally supportive of it in those populations um, when it's, I think, a sound choice. And, and we've looked at all the options. But I think in women approaching menopause, I think there are other options, even if it's an IUD, like a copper IUD or something right. of that nature. If if it's like, if you don't want to think about a diaphragm or you don't want to think about condoms at that stage of your life or, or, or the pullout method, which may or may not backfire on you because you might be ovulating at random times or, right. you know, so, um, but yeah, it does seem like if you're going to put someone on hormonal birth control, it's going to further exacerbate that, that hormonal, uh, roller coaster that you're already on. Right. Okay. Thanks. I'm glad we got to just like mention that because we do have listeners of all different ages. So I, you know, this, this conversation, yes, obviously you are a fertility specialist, but I think it's important to acknowledge like the different phases of life for our listeners and that, you know, it all, it also all affects like the next phase. And I'm so glad that in my late thirties, I'm, I'm kind of doing a deeper dive into perimenopause because it's something even like that I don't think I've just only started talking to friends about. And um, I have friends in their late forties, early fifties who are experiencing symptoms and aren't aware of what's going on. And I, you know, I had a friend who shared like, Oh, well I haven't had a period for a year. And I was like, friend, that's menopause, you know? Um, But so I think like addressing all of these things, just as as women and talking is is an important thing because I I think sometimes we don't do enough of it. Um, yeah, and the one thing I want to add too with like that's menopause, the no period for a year. I think there's an assumption that's always made because maybe the friend is forty seven or forty eight or forty nine, and and it it's not always an improper assumption. But however, because I still have patients that are in that age bracket who are trying to make a baby Mm -hmm. and um, and who some of who have succeeded. And I will also and this is also important for any woman of any age who's thinking about a baby in the future. Make sure your thyroid has been checked. Make sure your vitamin Mm -hmm. D has been checked, because I just had a case where it looked like clear blown menopause. She'd only missed like two periods. It wasn't a full year yet. And I was like, uh, just let's get your thyroid checked. Her, and she was on, they had switched her meds from like a generic thyroid to a different one. Her TSH jumped through the roof. It was like a six. And that was actually the problem. We got her TSH, TSH managed and she started menstruating and regulating all over again. Wow. That's why they call you the detective. <laughs> right. So, but I think that's another thing of like going back like preemptively, like every single woman who comes to me, I'm like, I need a complete thyroid panel, not just TSH. I want TSH, free T3, free T4, thyroid antibodies, vitamin D. 
And I want to know that that's all in range. Vitamin D deficiency is directly linked to implantation failure. Anything below a 30 is concerning. And vitamin D is a hormone. It is not a vitamin, right? Yeah. You guys probably know that yeah. from your experience here too. But it is so important. It's like falls into that choline category. Without proper vitamin D, without proper choline, your hormones, your the cholesterol in your body is just, the sex hormones just tank. And so we really want to work on like, revving up the engines before we're going to make a baby. Yeah, no, this is all such great information. And and yeah, I think that's interesting too about vitamin D, because I'm sure many people when they just go to their general practitioner, and they get their yearly vitamin D, I, I've found so often that um, when I've worked with a nutrition specialist or a hormone specialist, their levels where they want to see my vitamin D is so different than where my great, you know, UCLA doctor wants to see my my vitamin D. And so I think like you're saying, it's, it's so interesting because I think some people are like, well, my vitamin D, my doctor says it's fine or I'm taking, you know, but getting a little more curious is great. And, you know, a, a couple things I'd love to unpack with you. So everything you just mentioned with this or earlier about the supplements and the diet and the protein, that's how you had been living those five years before you got pregnant. When you mentioned you were living, like you preached. Okay. I see you nodding your head. That's great. And, um, that's really empowering because same, I went off birth control in 2021 just cause I, you know, I'm married and I didn't, I wanted to get off birth control and, you know, see what, what was next for me. And I, I did use BBT and it was really, really helpful. And I have, um, I personally, since going off of the birth control pill, I have difficult luteal phase. Like luteal phase is really a hard time for me. I can get really depressed or angry, like my emotions. Um, and then I get my period and I'm normal again, you know, so my luteal, a few days of my luteal has been really hard for me. And as Ali mentioned earlier, <laughs> I am turning 35 later this year and it's an interesting time because you start thinking about your fertility in a different way because everybody else is thinking about even my gynecologist or my OBGYN is like, well, you really should start making some decisions around 35 and again, all this noise. And so I'd love to talk to you about because something that, you know, I've been thinking about doing for myself is looking at you know, maybe getting my fertility tested, looking at my AMH levels, especially because I am partnered and can make decisions off of that potentially. But I also know and have heard a lot that like they're not always accurate or let's say it comes back that you have low egg reserve or different things like that, that that's not always kind of like a final place to be. It doesn't mean I have to start tomorrow just because some information might not be so good. So can you maybe talk about, um, I don't know if it's AMH levels exactly. I'm so new to this world. I'm not as well versed as, um, like I said, most of my friends also, I have one friend who has children at my age. Most of them are waiting a little bit later. And so I, it's like where where to begin and where not to get scared if you are starting to be like, okay, maybe I do want to get my fertility tested. And there's so many at-home fertility tests now that you can take. And just kind of what's your thought process on all of that? I think you have to, like, similarly to what I said earlier of, like, you can have these off cycles and not think that, like, you're doomed, right? Because you're not a robot, you're a human. Um, I think if we can take those tests with a grain of salt, like, again, going back to, like, data collection versus this is gonna, like, be the driver of the rest of my life. And so AMH is uh, anti-malarian hormone. It's secreted by the ovaries, FSH is the other ovarian reserve marker follicle stimulating hormone that's secreted by the brain. FSH tells the brain to start recruiting follicles and then the whole cascade starts. AMH is secreted kind of as the follicles. Well, it's just AMH you can test any any point in the cycle. FSH should be tested on cycle day two or cycle day three. It's completely inaccurate if it's tested any other time. Please, everybody know that. Um, because I have girls that come to me and they're like, my FSH was a 25. And then I'm like, what cycle day? Oh, I don't know. You know, and then they look and they're like, oh, and it's like, yeah, that doesn't, it doesn't actually translate to anything because you need to see estrogen in relation to FSH too. But what, there actually was a research article that came out in January of this year out of Fertility and Sterility, like one of the most recognized medical journals, clearly stating that at this point in time, we now know that FSH and AMH are not predictors of fertility outcomes. Um, and you know, the, the the ranges were not as extreme. Sure, I have women with lower AMHs than kind of what they covered in the article and maybe higher FSHs. But 
what they showed was that within a three-year time frame, women with varying numbers, either high AMH or healthy AMH and low AMH, high, you know, high FSH, FSH and low, same pregnancy outcomes within a year, but a three-year time frame. So I think that's really important to remember. It doesn't seem like every fertility doctor out there has read that article at this point in time, which is also very upsetting um, because they're still telling women, you know, they used to say before we had AMH, they used to say, you're only as good as your highest FSH. That was like the gold standard. That's what they said. This is like 15 years ago. Then AMH came out. And what's really important though, is you take into account antrophile count, which is you get a sonogram and you look at your ovaries, how many are in each ovary, antrophile count, collected with FSH on cycle day two or three and AMH kind of gives you a general idea. But then you also have to remember you're not a robot. Every cycle is different. Your hormones are going to shift. AMH will change month to month. FSH will change month to month. Antrophile count will change month to month. There's also some research showing women seem to be more fertile in like the summer and the spring. They And meaning that they their antrophile count is higher. Their hormones are kind of, I don't know, it's just a fascinating, you know, uh, sociological thing that, that they've noticed. Um, so I think you can collect that information and then what almost like have that conversation with yourself of like, what am I going to do with this? Um, what if it's not what I want it to be? What are my next steps? And I don't think, I think there's, Oh, it's always smart to have a plan. Um, and maybe it means like, you know, Erica for you of like, okay, I'm going to, we're going to just go and freeze some embryos and then we'll do with it later. Right. Um, but I've also seen plenty of women with super low AMHs, um, go on to have healthy children and conceiving naturally. And I have no idea what my FSH or AMH was. I actually, my doctor asked if they wanted, I said, no, I just want my thyroid and my D chest tested when we were going to start trying. And she agreed. She said, I think if the FSH comes back high, it's going to like spin you out. So let's not do it. And so I, I would rather my girls um, not pay attention to those markers, not in an ignorant way, but really pay attention to your cycle. If your cycle is irregular and you are not seeing signs of ovulation or you're having really bad, heavy periods, like, yeah, that's cause for concern. We should get to our gynecologist. We should get some scans. We should get some tests. But it's um, somewhat, sometimes I think too much information is, is a bad thing. We are so excited to offer our listeners a new discount to one of the best probiotic supplements on the market, Seed. If you are a regular listener of the podcast, then you know that Ali and I are both very serious when it comes to the importance of gut health and building a thriving microbiome. I personally have been using Seed for close to a year now and have noticed a big difference in my digestion and bloating. I am devoted to taking seed every single morning before food, and I'm really excited to share their daily symbiotic with our audience. The formulation of the daily symbiotic combines a probiotic and prebiotic, is vegan and gluten-free, and includes 24 clinically studied, naturally occurring strains, not found in yogurt or fermented foods and beverages, and lives up to the highest standards for human and planetary health. Yes. And in addition to being a really reliable probiotic and prebiotic supplement, Seed is committed to creating science-based education for all those that partner with them through accountable advertising at Seed University. This is where we are all committed to not spreading misinformation about health on the internet. Pretty important, right? Also, I personally love their commitment to sustainability with a refill system and all recyclable or biodegradable packaging materials. Erica and I only advertise products that we use and feel are of benefit to us and by extension could be of value to our community as well. If you would like to order Seed Daily Symbiotics to incorporate into your own gut health routine, go to seed.com and use the code COURAGEOUS15 at checkout for 15% off or click on the link in our show notes. We want to share how excited we are to offer our community 20% off their first order at Sakara with code XOCOURAGEOUS. We have been big fans of the company for years, and the Sakara Life Organic Meal Delivery Program is based on a whole food, plant-rich diet that includes fresh, nutrient-dense, and delicious ingredients. It's perfect for those weeks you need a refresh or don't have time to meal prep. 
They also have a clean boutique, which offers delicious food forward bars, snacks, beauty water drops, and my personal favorite metabolism super powder, which works to fire up your metabolism, stabilize blood sugar, eliminate bloat and decrease puffiness. The naturally rich low sugar, dark chocolate flavor is perfect for smoothies or simply mixed with coffee and nut milk. I also regularly use the Sakar cookbook full of plant-rich recipes, which you can purchase on their website. Click the link in our show notes to visit Sakara.com and use code XO courageous for 20% off your first order. We know you will love it as much as we do. It's so interesting because I, like I said, like other than having like a, like a mood issue during part yeah. of some of my luteal phase. I, um, my cycles are pretty regular, you know, and, um, and, and I haven't wanted to test, even though it was last yeah, year when my doctor was like, let's, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. And I think protein too. I don't love, I'm not, I know Allie's always on me about the protein. Like I, I don't, I I've been better. I'm getting better and it's helped my luteal phase tremendously, but I, um, yeah, and this is why you want to know why, because the follicle that grows the egg that starts in the beginning of the cycle right it starts it gets recruited it gets bigger 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 it ruptures out comes the egg and then the follicle house now becomes the corpus luteum that secretes the progesterone so it's all about the follicle yeah really juicy up that follicle protein and fat and antioxidants that's the key yeah and i've had hormone stuff before and all of that but but yeah like like you said since my cycles are pretty regular and you know like once i get my period i feel fine it's 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 a normal cycle i just was like why do i want to know that information like i just feel like either way i was like i don't know if that's going to help me or yes like i think having information is great but you know um I think sometimes it can, it can trip you out. And then stress of course is not great for fertility either. So it's just, it's interesting. It was an, I, I agree with that. Like, it's not something I necessarily feel like I need to know, but it's something and a lot of people are talking about. Piece, right. It's one piece. AMH could be low because you have an ovarian cyst from endometriosis and you don't know about it. And so there's compromised circulation to the ovaries. If you work, if you do acupuncture and work on your diet and do like cathero packs and things like that and move your body, you probably will improve your AMH just on your own. So if you think about it from a very, and FSH comes from the brain, it's really impacted by stress. So I've had girls that are in their early Mm thirties and their FSH is through the roof. And then they're, you know, they're stressed and they're going into fertility treatments. And then in their late thirties, their FSH is beautiful. And that goes against everything that we're told that it's just going to get worse. Everything's you're going to fall off a cliff at 35. You're screwed, you know? Yeah. Well, I think you bring up a good point and, and, both of you in this conversation, but Amy, I know that you speak to this too, that there's really like a mindset and, um, even spiritual component to this process. And I know it can be really painful for a lot of people who are struggling. And I, I deeply acknowledge that. And, um, and so I guess my question for you in this is how do you support clients who, yes, we want to do all the things to that we can to support our body in this process. And there's a certain amount of, I don't know if surrender is the right word, but sort of giving it over on some level. How do you support people to strike that balance so that you don't go down the spirals? Because oftentimes, like you said, that that can affect, that does affect our physiology and what's going on with our hormones as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of education and, and the baseline educations, right? So I think we collect data where we need to, uh, meaning, you know, like the baseline, like the D and the thyroid and, and things of that nature. And we can look at hormones for sure, too. I, we try not to, at least here in, in my clinical practice, pay that much attention to AMH and FSH, but we'd like to pay attention to everything else, if that makes sense. Estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, those are all important. Um, and so, but first things first, it's like doing that whole body assessment. How do I feel? How do I wake up in the morning? Do I have enough energy to get through the day? Am I pooping every day? Is it formed? Is it easy to pass? Like, how's my skin? Do I have eczema or psoriasis? How's my hair? How are my nails growing? Those are all really big signs of overall health and vitality. And like, if I just put on my Chinese medicine hat, 
those are the signs that tell me the body is saying, I have enough, I have enough extra to make a baby, you know, and when those things are lacking, or there's kinks in the system, and there's lots of kinks, you know, and like headaches, and you know, all sorts of things. And then I want to think about let's let's work on those. And every woman is different. Some women need those kinks to be totally gone in order for pregnancy to happen. Others are just kind of halfway in the middle. And then boom, the change happens, right? So fertility is a spectrum, it does not like on or off, you know. And so I think first, that's where I always try to get my clients to focus is like, how do we feel? How do we get ourselves to feel better? Like, I don't want that mid-afternoon crash. I want you to have enough energy. I don't want you to need chocolate before bed. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having chocolate before bed, you know, but like, I don't want you or, you know, th those things like really start to pay attention to the body. I want to see the healthy signs of like cervical mucus and all that stuff, the sex drive. Um. And then, you know, I mean, and, and you guys are in this space too. I, I support my girls where they're at, of course. Like if they want to go and collect more data, I am by all means. And I, but I always say to them, like, let me help you understand that data. And then, you know, I have a case right now where, you know, she's had two losses. Her doctor is not acknowledging that there's, there's some markers on her blood work that predisposes her to miscarriage. Just doesn't believe that this is a potential issue. Um, so what I said to her, cause he's a recognized doctor and she really believes in him and I'm not trying to put down the doctor. I just said in this case, then what I would do is I would get another opinion. I want you to go to a hematologist. I want you to get blood work drawn again. And I want the hematologist to chime in from a non-fertility perspective. And, you know, so it's almost like there is surrender and there's also not being naive. Right. And so kind of taking all that, um, you know, and it's like really just trying to see, but like getting hooked on things of like you know all my girls that are in it and have been in it for a while they're very clearly not hooked anymore on FSH or AMH because they see it change all the time so but in the beginning like if you were to go to one of these facilities or do the at-home tests and your FSH comes back high maybe maybe you tested it on the wrong day because you weren't you didn't read the instructions maybe you had a super stressful work week maybe you just came off of like two weeks in Greece and you barely ate or something you know and you drank every day do you know what I mean like maybe and it would just throw it off and but then all of a sudden that's the determining factor like I need to do IVF immediately. Like I'm screwed. I'm never going to have children. No, like, I think we have to look at all the pieces together. And, you know, I mean, it's so individualized. So it's really hard to like, generally speak, how do we get to that kind of balance? But I think for everybody, it's different. It's almost like knowing um, your clients. Some people really need a clear cut plan and like a time frame. Okay. If nothing's changed in three months, then this is what we're going to do. Right. Or um, why don't we, you know, like, like if you're 35 and you're trying or 37 and you're trying, okay, I think the window is easily six to 12 months. If we don't see anything, okay, then we look further, you know, and then I think there's a bunch of uterine function tests we can do. There's a bunch of, you know, obviously we should get a semen analysis. Like, you know, we don't get to talk about the men a lot, you know, and, and really just kind of start to put those pieces in place, but still, no matter what, when someone comes to me, am I looking at the partner's diet and the partner supplement? hundred percent. I'm asking about their health, right? Um, if a woman says to me, you know, I get chronic UTIs. Okay. That's something that needs to be fixed because if the, if the microbiome is off in the vaginal and uterine area, you're not going to get pregnant. We know that now. Yeah. All really good things to think about. I'm curious, when when you have clients get pregnant, which you do <laughs> in all different stages, whether you're supporting them um, through getting pregnant naturally or IVF or um, whatever that might be, and how do you move then into like the next supportive phase? Okay, maybe maybe the um, client is pregnant and the pregnancy is keeping. Are there any things like I'm, I'm assuming you probably continue with acupuncture through the through the pregnancy? Um, but one thing I'd really love to touch on, and I know we have limited time, but are once someone finds out they're pregnant, what can they continue to do to support themselves during the pregnancy? And then also, I'd love to go into a little bit about um, postpartum, because I think sometimes, you know, our hormones do this whole other thing that happens after the baby's here. And so um, as a as an acupuncturist, from a Chinese medicine perspective, can we touch a little bit on on that part of the process as well? And just general support for those parts of the process? Yeah, so generally, you know, what I'm recommending to help balance hormones and get pregnant is typically the same once you're pregnant, you know, and a lot of times too, if I am working with a client and we've made some tweaks dietarily, 
And then all of a sudden, boom, they got pregnant and they haven't been getting pregnant for six months. I, first thing I'll say to them is we're not changing a thing. First trimester, everything's the same because, you know, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm, I always bear down on supplements. I'm a less is more kind of girl, especially in pregnancy, a good prenatal or some kind of supportive vitamin with enough methylfolate, a good fish oil, probiotic, vitamin D if you need it. That's it. And obviously any medications if you need it. Um, and, and then a nutrient dense diet. So we'll, we'll stay there. And then really that diet, it's hard in the first trimester. A lot of women don't feel their best. So I have this pregnancy and new mama guide that like goes right out to them the second they get their positive. Um, you know, there's a lot of smoothie recipes in there. We don't love cold raw in Chinese medicine. So they're like more like warmish smoothies or room temperature smoothies, but where we're sneaking in nutrients, but the same thing, you really want that 80 to hundred grams of protein in pregnancy. It really helps with blood sugar. It really helps with like nausea, morning sickness, things like that. And then obviously fetal development. And if you continue that lifestyle through I'm always checking in later pregnancy. You really want to stay on top of iron and hemoglobin, ferritin. Um, if those numbers start to drop, and there is research to support this, going into labor and delivery or into your postpartum period already like on that anemic side, you have a greater tendency towards postpartum depression or anxiety. And so for me, with my girls, it's we really pay attention to that. We also really pay attention to thyroid function in pregnancy too, progesterone levels in early pregnancy. Um, but so I'm always like amping that up towards the end because, and then thinking about like, yeah, postpartum care, what are we doing? Um, you know, there's that great book of the first 40 days. I love recommending that book. Um, I love Lily Nichols, uh, real food for pregnancy. She's outstanding. If you guys haven't heard her on, she's brilliant. I love her. Um, it's so accessible, such a brilliant, kind woman. Um, she answers all my questions all the time, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, so, but for me, like not a lot changes. It's kind of like this, we're still continuing this. I still want you to be non-toxic with your lifestyle. I still want you to be making the right choices, you know, from an environmental perspective and protecting your energy and, and all of those things. And it, it is meant, you know, I, I feel like um, I hope them with the egg quality diet or the yes, you can get pregnant diet, but really what I'm doing, that's optimal health, in my yeah. opinion, optimal health diet. And and that's my plan for you for, for the rest of your life. So you can for be life. healthy. Babies. Yeah. You know, cause that's really that way I look at it is like uh, one mama at a time making the world a better place. And we do that by the mamas nourishing themselves and knowing how to honor and respect their body and hear their body. Right. And so that's the same that carries through in pregnancy that carries through in postpartum. Yeah. yeah. You've mentioned a couple things about, um, right. We've talked about protein. You've mentioned like not intermittent fasting, which we've talked about on the show before too, especially for women's hormone health. Um, I wonder if there's anything other, like, you know, there's so much noise about like dairy or paleo or, you know, is there anything else that you recommend? Like, and you mentioned alcohol earlier, like I was drinking a little too much alcohol back then, but is there any other baselines? We got protein, you know, um, we know blood sugar balancing. Is there, is there anything else you recommend people avoid? So I think, um, I used to kind of, like everybody, I suppose, generally say gluten, dairy, soy, bad for everyone, artificial sweeteners. I mean, I still have very firm opinions about organic versus not avoiding non-GMO foods, avoiding processed foods, avoiding artificial sweeteners. So like the general there. When it comes to like paleo is best or gluten-free or dairy-free, it's really what I think everyone should do, especially if they're having challenges or they have challenging periods, is to do an elimination diet. Mm -hmm. It's like hands down the best way for you could figure it out. And so, of course, I'm a, you know, I'm a carnivore and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of eating meat, but vegetarians can do it too. They definitely can. But we do see that beans and nuts can trigger some people. Nightshades can trigger other people. It's not just gluten and dairy and soy. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there's a lot of different food groups that can be triggers for different people. So finding the right fertility diet for you is important. I do like to focus on macros. Like I want like 40-ish percent fat, 30-ish percent protein, the rest carbs, it's 20, 25. Kind of depends on the patient too. Good quality carbs, you know, like the sweet potatoes and even rice or, you know, squashes, things like that. Um, but I think generally speaking of like, I probably lead with like an autoimmune paleo diet for all of my clients, especially if they have challenges and we do elimination, but in a quality diet, that is basically what it is. It guides you through an elimination diet. 
in my clinic, we'll do it a little differently. We kind of meet them where they're at and maybe pull foods, you know, here and there to just see what's going on. Um, but if you are having symptoms, especially digestive symptoms or skin issues like eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, um, or you've had multiple losses, like, or we have a known autoimmune condition like Hashimoto's, which is really common, um, or celiac, you know, then, then we're going to go deeper on this like autoimmune paleo style and then try to figure out the right thing for them. Because not everyone is, is it gluten or dairy or soy? It could right. be nightshades. Like I said, you know, um, yeah. it's, it's highly, the nightshades shocked me when I started getting into autoimmune paleo, I was absolutely shocked at how many women have sensitivities to nightshades. That's now yeah. That's really interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. I feel like I could talk to you for another hour, but we, um, I guess we need to start to wrap up and thank you for all, just like all your wisdom and the good knowledge that you shared with us today. I think, um, like I said, your approach is very hope filled and also information based. It's like really integrative in that way, which I think is, uh, is beneficial and creates a lot of value because of all the noise out there. Um, around the fertility process for so many people. So as we start to wrap up, we ask all of our guests three wrap-up questions. And the first one, which you sort of touched on, but you could maybe update us on on your your current day-to-day, is what does your daily self-care routine or practices look like? And do you have any non-negotiables for yourself? Yeah, sleep is a non-negotiable. I mean, it's we're good sleepers in this house. Um so yeah, I will not compromise on my sleep. Like a bunch of my girlfriends get up for this like 6.30 class and I'm like, love ya. I'm going to the 8.30, you know, um, I sleep. But, and, and there's a, you know, that's with me. Um, so non-negotiable there, uh, some kind of mindfulness. Whereas it like the other day, it was just like, you know, a long shower with like 30 deep breaths and like strong sighs on every exhale. Today, I listened to like one of my favorite Abraham Hicks clips, which is like 12 minutes long and just kind of gets me in my zone. Um, starting my day off with protein. I'm, I'm really anal about that. I actually, you know, not from like a, I don't think a food issue perspective. I had me sort of forever ago. So I think I can recognize that. I just really stay on top of my protein. Like I always, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for that goal, that 30 grams. I count my proteins regularly, you know, where it's like, okay, where am I? Okay. Like even before our call, I was like, okay, I'm at 56 grams. This is good. You know, cause it's whatever in the middle of the afternoon. So I'm set to get to hundred. So those types of things. And also like turning off at the end of the day, which is a huge thing I recommend to my, my patients of like, the whole point is learning how to nourish ourselves. And for me, it's like running my own business. I could just go all day long and just ignore everything else. You know, I don't need TV. I don't, uh, you know, I'm like, good. I just, so I leave my phone up in my office and I'm like, I'm, I'm off. I turn off at, at some point, usually around like six thirty seven o'clock. Yeah, those are great. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's like, it's always great to see people like practicing to what they preach and their self-care routines. So um, really cool. The next question we always ask is what does being courageous mean to you? I suppose in my line of work, um, I think it's innovation and, um, you know, questioning the norms. That's a lot of what I do in the day to day of, you know, my social media is really about that of um, just not, not always accepting these dogmas. Like I want to look at the data. I want to understand. I want to know why you're saying that. Um, And I think not taking no for an answer, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of pushing the envelope, uh, poking the bear as one of my friends said to me recently. Yeah, I love it. And then the final question, which you've already touched on a little bit, but um, in addition to your own books, which are wonderful resources for anybody listening, do you have any book that's just meant something to you along your journey that you would recommend to our audience? Deep Nutrition by Shannon. Oh gosh. I think Callahan is her last name. Um, That book was such an eye-opener for me from a nutrition perspective. Um, anything by the Weston A. Price organization. So Nourishing Traditions was tremendous for me from a learning perspective. Um, and then a book I still probably quote like on the daily is Deepak Chopra's Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, which is just hysterical. But I still do. I'm like, Deepak says from point A to point B, there's a million ways for you to get there. You yes. know, like your only job is to trust, you know, that you're being guided, the universe 
is going to conspire to support you. Um, so yeah, I'm always like, I'm nerdy research. And then I love the spiritual, you know, groundedness. Well, you have a kindred spirits in us for that. And, um, thank you so much for being here. If anyone wants to find you, follow you, you know, work with you, where can they, where can they find all that? Yeah, I think Instagram is where I'm the most active. So it's just my handles, my name at Amy Raup and then my website, amyraup.com. And I'm also um, on TikTok a lot these days, Amy Raup Fertility. Great. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.